All right. If you think that because it's Father's Day, you're going to get the typical Father's Day sermon and you're going to leave here all depressed and beat up because I'm going to tell you how horrible you are and how you need to change, you're not going to get that today. Uh, we're going to continue um, our sermon series in Philippians, and um, they, they, it does have a lot to do with not just fathers, but all of us this morning, and the topic of the gospel and suffering. And so if you would turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 12 through 18. Uh, through the gospel, Jesus is making a people for himself, and the church is a mystery and always has been a mystery. And we call people the church. And it's made up of individuals of every tongue, tribe, race, and nation. A new covenant creates a new community, one that brings Jew and Gentile together, male and female together, and makes a new humanity out of them as they are called the church. It is a mystery. And it is amazing throughout history that the church has been able to progress. People have tried to stamp it out. People have tried their very best to subdue it. People have tried their very best to shut Christians up. And this morning we're gonna look at a guy that could not be shut up and his name was Paul. And so if you would, we'll read the very first verse, chapter one, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul is in prison. And if you actually do some background work here, remember the story, Paul has been arrested when he set foot in Jerusalem back in Acts 29, spent two years in prison, eventually appeared to Caesar as was his right as a Roman citizen in Acts 25 verse 11. And so he was sent off to Rome to stand trial there. And along the way, he endured some really nasty things some unspeakable hardships, including a shipwreck. And now he stands trial, waiting to go before Caesar, knowing possibly this could be his execution. And this is what he says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He doesn't tell us what happened to him while he's in prison. He's not, it's not a self-loathing moment. We don't know if he's hungry. We don't know if he's been fed. We don't know if he's been beaten. We, we don't know if he has broken bones. We don't know if he's sleeping on the floor. We don't know any of those things. He don't go into detail. I do know this. More than likely, the, the prisons and the jails in that particular point in time in Rome were not like the jails today. They probably didn't get square, three square meals. They probably didn't have air conditioning. They probably didn't have cable TV and games to play. I'm just guessing here. It was probably a pretty nasty place that Paul was in. And so it's very interesting to me that Paul is saying, not, not what was me, look at me, I'm, I'm, I'm in this horrible situation. What he is actually saying is, man, the gospel is going out. The gospel is going out. It's not a self-loathing thing. It's something that he is actually excited about. And so verse 12, Paul focuses on the continuation of the gospel and not on the circumstances because the gospel matters most to him. And it should matter most to us. And so the gospel is not hindered, the gospel actually explodes. And we see this throughout, throughout the church history. Whenever anybody presses down on the church, 
she explodes. We see it in China. We see it in, in, in North and South Korea. We see it in places all over the world. Well, when Christianity is pressed on, when the church is pressed on, she explodes. So the message that Paul is using here is a metaphor. He says the advancement of the gospel. It gives the idea of military scouts who move ahead of the main force of an invading army. Clearing the path, making the way. And that's what Paul was doing. He was clearing the path, making the way. And that is what he is saying about his chains they have done for the gospel. They've cleared the path so that instead of hindering, the gospel has made advances. Paul is saying to us, he isn't saying, he is saying to us that God's ways are not our ways. His plans are not our plans and our circumstances should not define us. We, might, we may find ourselves in difficult circumstances. We may find ourselves in very hard trials and hard sufferings. But the gospel has to be on the forefront. Verse 13. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard that to the rest, to all the re- and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And so here is the impact of living faithfully. We see Paul trusting in God's sovereign goodness to work all things out to together, to, together for the good to those who love him. The word Paul uses for the imperial guard is a reference to the elite guards of the emperor. These guys were not just your run-of-the-mill guards. Okay, these guys were picked out. There were about 9,000 of them. Uh, they were paid more, so that means there's more training. And they answered directly to Caesar himself. So these guys were, um, I don't know what generation here, you got Rambo, you got Jason Bourne, um, you got Navy SEALs, those type of guys, okay? So these were, these were bad dudes. You didn't want to mess with them. And so here we have Paul is being chained to these guys on a regular basis. And it's just amazing to me that he's just not crawling under the table going, I cannot believe this is happening. Why is this happening to me? He's not asking those questions. So what, what sort of man is this? What sort of a man is, is saying, man, this is going to advance the gospel. What kind of person does that? It's a person that understands that the gospel must go out. It's a person that understands that our circumstances don't define us. That we may go through trials and periods of time, but as long as we're faithful and true to him, he's gonna see us through. And so you see the picture here. 24 hours a day and six hour shifts, probably one after another, these select soldiers were chained to the apostle Paul and forced to be with him. Now, here's what's interesting about Paul. They probably heard the conversations that Paul was having with other people, with the visitors, they were discussing the, the spiritual things, the gospel. We don't see here where they just beat the fire to Paul for being annoying. He wasn't annoying with the gospel. Are you tracking with me? In other words, he wasn't beating them over the head with the gospel. We just came back from Gulf Shores yesterday. What should have taken four hours took eight. Four-year-old, seven-year-old, pregnant wife. Each stop was 30 minutes long, something like that. And you get annoyed, especially when you're traveling up 65, and man, the, the traffic stops and you're, you're punching the GPS trying to find alternate routes and none of them is gonna work. 
And man, you're just like, what, what are we gonna do? And you've got kids behind you going, daddy, when we there, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Daddy, are we there yet? Daddy, can you put my earbuds in? Because he can't put them in. And so I'm, I'm constantly going back and forth and everything. It's annoying. So you guess what you wanna do? You want to beat them. <laughs> you wanna just pull the car over, take them out and just beat the fire out of all of them. <laughs> and say, you know what? Y'all stay here. I'm driving back myself in the peace and quiet. And so we look at Paul here and you think he wasn't annoying. He wasn't an annoying person. He was probably a pleasant guy with the gospel. And so it, it, it tells us that we can be effective with presenting the gospel to our friends without being annoying. Warren Wiersbe says it like this. Little did Romans, the Romans realize that the chains that are fixed to his wrist would release Paul instead of binding him. Again, 9,000 yards. And Paul says this, that somehow his witness and faithfulness in Christ amidst the storm of his own suffering has begun to permeate throughout the entire military regiment. Think about that for a second. These guys were sitting around the sharpening stones, sharpening their swords, talking about the apostle Paul. That guy, that, do you remember him? Yeah, I was chained to him last night. Are you listening to what he's saying? He's talking about this guy named Jesus and, and this freedom that he has and he just has this joy and he sings all the time. What's, there's something different about that guy. Through that, the entire regiment. He would never have that kind of an opportunity had he not been imprisoned. So think about the trials that you may be going through. Think about the things that you have gone through and look back and go, you know what? Maybe that was for a particular reason. Maybe somebody needed to see that. Maybe someone needed, needed to hear that. In fact, the witness goes further than that. In chapter four, verse 22, you don't have to turn there. Here's how far, how far Paul's witness had reached while he was in prison. He's sending greetings from Rome to the Philippian believers. And this is what he says. This absolutely blows me away. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. In other words, not only has he influenced and affected the soldiers, there's people that are living with Caesar himself that have heard the gospel. Chain him up, beat him up, press him down. The gospel still gets out. He still avails. His witness has penetrated right into the very home of the emperor himself. What an impact of the faithfulness and mist of trials. Who knows who might be watching you? Who knows who might be watching what you do? Who knows? People are watching you at the, the very least you expect it. And it's how you handle the little stresses sometimes. It's not always the big things. It could be the little things, the, the road rage. Some of you have, you refuse to put, I hope you refuse to put the emblems, the Christian stuff on your car because it would be horrible. The little fish, yeah, that guy just turned, you know, man, I, or, or the bumper stickers that, you know, I love Jesus and you, you're cutting people off. 
How about the, the ball field, the fits you may have with the ball field? People are watching that. How about the tirades and the slanders that you see on Facebook? People are reading that and that stuff don't go away. How you conduct business with others in the line, your impatience, people are watching that. How you handle stresses, how you handle situations, are you furthering the gospel or you're hindering it? Then there's the big things. People are watching during those moments of, of great suffering, the loss of a job, um, the, the marriage that may be going, the, the, the going awry, a failure in marriage, family disputes, during sickness, the death of a loved one. People are watching how you handle those things. Who knows who you might impact? You're desperate resting on Jesus and his grace during those times when you're at the end of your rope. People see you and they think you're themselves. I don't know how they did it. How'd they get through that? During the disease, during the hospital stay, during that time when he was dealing with his family, during the loss of that job. How did that happen? And let me just say this. We're all human. When we go through suffering, we're very human. And here's what often happens. A lot of times we'll say, man, you know what? God's got this. He's got this. But deep down inside, we're like, man, Lord, please. Do you really have this? And we begin to question because we're broken, we're sinful. And so we begin to, to ask the question, Lord, do you really have this? And guess what? It's okay. It's okay to go, you know what? I'm just not sure. I'm going through a season of my life right now and I'm just not sure. Pray for me. It's okay. Cling to Jesus, no matter what your circumstances, and the Lord will be by your side in wonderful and mighty ways. We all suffer through trials in different times and different levels. The question is, will you suffer well? Will you suffer well? Will your suffering compel you to love Jesus more? And sometimes that's after the fact. It may not be through the suffering. It may, be, it may be when the suffering is over with. We're like, man, I, the Lord got me through that. And now rejoice. You have suffered. And because of your suffering, you love Jesus more because of your suffering. You, maybe you lost a loved one and, and, every, and everything, but you have everything but Jesus in your life. And you cling on him because that's all the treasure that you have. American missionary to India, E. Stanley Jones says this, don't bear trouble, use it. Take whatever happens, justice and injustice, pleasure and pain, compliment and criticism. Take it up into the purpose of your life and make something out of it. Turn it into a testimony. Turn it into a testimony. Before we move on, I wanna look at verse 13 more closely. Some versions read, my imprisonment is for Christ. Others read, my bonds are in Christ. And then there is my chains are in Christ. And here's what, he's, what has happened here. 
Would the guards have noticed specifically about his imprisonment, his bonds, or his chains? The instruments used by the Lord to spread the gospel. These chains revealed something to those who knew Paul. Something engaging was made clear to them and they watched him in the prison cell. They watched him suffer and something changed them. Something intrinsically in their mind goes, there's something that's different about these guys. Something something's different about the chains that hold him. For Paul at that moment in his life and experience, he is due to endure that particular trial and that particular, that particular suffering. And so to be in Christ meant that he put his experience of sharing in the fellowship of Christ's suffering to test. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about there. Some of you have been through some tough trials in your life. And all of a sudden that experience through the suffering starts to kick in. And maybe you see someone else suffering through the very thing you've been through and you're able to help them. You're able to give them a cold glass of water and say, here, I've been here, I've done that. I know what that's like. You know what that means. As Paul suffers, clinging to his savior has a profound impact on everybody that he met. And that was becoming very clear to the guards. That was becoming clear to the, to the rest of Caesar's household. And so the question is, how precious is Christ to you? What do you prize more over him? What will you do that you might have more of Jesus? And those questions are what Paul is pressing on us. He wants us to understand Christ is worth it. There is no suffering that is not worth suffering for. Verse 14, it says, most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so we've heard about the impact of Paul's faithfulness through trials on the lost. And he's switching gears here. Okay, so we're talking about the guards, we're talking about Caesar's household. He's having an impact on the lost people. So now he's, he's, he's starting to switch gears to the church. Most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Before his imprisonment, when people had been fearful of, of getting executed, they had been fearful of, getting, of sharing their faith. But now they were boldly sharing Christ in, every, in everyday conversation. Paul's circumstances, listen to this, Paul's circumstances invoke courage in the Roman Christians. In other words, when we see others suffering for the sake of Christ and pressing forward, that should embolden us. Because this is what they were saying. They were basically saying, man, if he can do that in prison, I can do that out here easily. He's chained up. He's witnessed to 9,000 soldiers and people in, in, in Caesar's house. I am free. I can go to and fro. So now they become emboldened. Throughout the entire city, you start to raise up young men and they start preaching the gospel. But in verses 15, 16, and 17, this is what it says. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I, that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. 
The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerity, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now, when I read those three verses, I thought to myself, what in the world is going on here? At first you see verse 14 and he says, most of them, most of them are emboldened. And he's talking about the church. There's two camps here. Most of them are emboldened. Most of them have confidence in the Lord. Most of them are going forward with the gospel. And then you have these cats. There were some in Paul's day who were glad to see him go to jail. Christians. Churchgoers, pastors, glad to see him go to jail. You may ask the question, why? Well, here's what happens. Whenever a predominant leader either falls or gets imprisoned or whatever, you have this vacuum. And you have these people that maybe they were jealous because Paul was selling more books than they were. I don't know. Maybe, the, maybe Paul had more bigger crowds than they did. And they were jealous. And so now this guy, he's in prison. Guess what they're doing? He got his, it's my turn now. Christians, pastors, church folks. They were gloating. They rejoiced. They were thrilled. But they failed to remember Jesus and see that their savior was a man who suffered. They failed to see and remember Jesus. And you and I must always be careful that we do not celebrate when others suffer. When a politician fails, when a religious leader fails, when a celebrity fails, when a marriage fails, when our friends fail, we must not celebrate that. There's a sickness in our culture that is much like the day when people were glad in Paul's day. And here's what they say. Finally, someone beautiful, someone successful, someone who is rich or better off, someone who is smart, they're crying, they're suffering, they're hurting, and I feel vindicated. We live in a sick culture that says, it's your turn to suffer and I'm glad because you're down and I'm up. It's the truth. My father-in-law says the truth will stand where the world's on fire. And sometimes for us, it's the elephant in the room. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you've been, maybe you've been that person that go, you know what? There's just something about that guy. I don't like him. And I just want him to fail. We see it all the time. It's the attitude of when that person is down, I'm up. It's a sickness. Paul says there's a sickness in us. That disease, part of our sin nature, is not, if, it's, if it is not repented of, does not have a rigorous theology of suffering, but rather has a depraved celebrating, celebration of suffering. Know this. There will be naysayers. There's gonna be people who mock, even those that are closest to us. Some people patch on the back and they're looking for the knife to put in the back. There's going to be those within our ranks. But the gospel, when pressed, advances. 
always remember that. Faithful Christians, always remember that. Whenever you're pressed, whenever you're mocked, whenever that back is stabbed, press forward, press on. Because the word of God is not chained. The word of God is not chained. God can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can imagine. Chains, there's no such thing for the gospel. There is no unreached people group. There is no nation that cannot be reached. There is no person that cannot be reached. We must be obedient and go and proclaim the good news of the gospel. So how do we respond to suffering? How do we as believers in Christ respond to suffering? Paul answers that question in verse 18. It's an amazing verse. What then? Only that in every way, whatever in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed that in that I rejoice. Now remember this for a second. The last three verses that he just talked about was three verses of basically being stabbed in the back by his friends. And what is, what is he saying? I rejoice. Because regardless of what they say, regardless of what they do, regardless of the naysayers, there's some men and women out there that are proclaiming the gospel. So we're gonna press forward. We're gonna move forward. And I asked the question, I have it in my notes. Do you think that's what Paul meant to say? I had to read it several times. You're gonna rejoice? Really? That's, that's the answering of the response to suffering, is rejoicing. How do you do that? That even though there were Christians who had their sick view of suffering, who had envy, who had jealousy, who had greed, pride, selfishness, selfish ambition, that we should still rejoice. And Paul would say, yes, as long as the truth about the death, burial, and resurrection ringing forth, we must rejoice. And Paul tells us that in suffering, the key is to rejoice. So how can you rejoice in the midst of suffering? How do you do that? Here's the thing. You cannot walk up to someone, I don't advise this. You cannot walk up to someone in the midst of their suffering and just say, you need to be happy. you'd probably get hit. Because let me tell you something, when I'm suffering and going through something and someone comes to me and goes, you just need to get over that and be happy. I want to throat punch them because that's just my nature. And so how do you do that? How do you get to that place in your life where you're, 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 you're joyful about suffering? We're incapable of feeling happy in, in, in the midst of suffering. You can't manufacture an emotion. That can't be manufactured. But joy is different. Joy is different. Joy and scripture are not an emotion. If joy was an emotion, God wouldn't command it. The psalmist says this. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord again. I say rejoice. All through scripture, if you look, joy and suffering 
and rejoicing are paired together. So that's the answer. The answer to suffering is rejoicing because joy is a choice. Joy is a choice that you make in the midst of suffering. Joy is a lifestyle. And rejoicing is something that is possible in the midst of suffering. Now, it's not rejoicing that we are suffering. It's not that. Because that would be pretty crazy too, wouldn't it? Man, I'm suffering. You, 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 some, people, some people have done that. I'm suffering for the Lord. And you look at me like, really? I, I, that to me is manufactured. It is rejoicing in our suffering that there is purpose and hope that God would do something great in and through us. It is rejoicing that in our suffering, there is a purpose and hope that God would do something great in and through us. That they would know, love, and trust Jesus more. That our families, that our daddies, that our moms, that our church people would love and trust Jesus more. And that others would be compelled to become followers of Jesus and that Christians would be compelled to be better Christians, that our suffering would not be purposeless that it would be a purpose. That we don't waste our hardship, that we don't waste our tears, that we don't waste our pain, that we don't waste our poverty, that we don't waste our sickness because of the brokenness of this world, we were gonna suffer. It's just the nature of where we live. It's the nature of our culture. We live in a broken world, therefore we're gonna suffer. But while we're here, while this only seems like a vapor when we get up there, we are to press forward, pressing on with the gospel. I'm gonna leave you with this. And I'll close with this, with this quote. There was a Russian atheist during communist reign and his job was to stamp out Christianity in the USSR. And his quote altogether is very insightful. Throughout Russia, and throughout the communist nations, his responsibility was to destroy Christianity. To seek it out, find it, and burn it down. And toward the end of his life, here's what he says. Christians are like nails. The harder you hit them, the deeper they go. And when life hammers you, will you rejoice? Not in the pain of the strike, but in the depth of its effects. Let's pray.